Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the FT's Business Book Challenge podcast. I'm Isabel Berwick, Assistant Features Editor for the FT's Comments section. And in this second series, marking the FT Business Book of the Year Award, we gave our top commentators the quite specific brief to pick titles that will bring solace or advice for these turbulent times. So in this fifth episode, we'll be discussing Lucy Kellaway's somewhat unconventional pick for a business book, Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. It's a novel by Winifred Watson, first published in 1938, and it's a tale about a downtrodden governess whose life is turned around after an encounter with an altogether more glamorous world. Joining me to talk about the book are two of the FT's finest columnists, Lucy Kellaway and Andrew Hill. Welcome both. And before we talk about Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day, I'm going to ask you our traditional opening question. Uh, what are you reading at the moment? Andrew? Well, uh, relevant to Miss Pettigrew this for a day a bit, and we maybe talk about this later, I've been looking at a new book out from a historian called Edith Sparks uh, called Boss Lady, which is a book that looks at three female entrepreneurs of exactly the time that Pettigrew book came out. Three American entrepreneurs who built businesses in manufacturing. One of them was the... Uh, founder of Pepperidge Farm, which is still a brand, a food brand. One was the co-founder of Beach Aircraft, the light aircraft company, and the other one founded Floatil Products, which was a tomato canning company. It's a quite an academic book, but it does actually tell you something a little bit about what it was like to be a, a woman in a man's world in the 1930s, which is precisely what we're going to be talking about later. And Lucy. Andrew, you're going heavy and I'm going light. Um, I'm reading a novel by somebody who works in finance in the US with an extraordinary name, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right, Amor Towels, if you believe it or not. And he has written something called The Rules of Civility. It's a sort of pastiche of the 1930s and flappers getting up to no good, but it's really rip-roaring. So we've both been immersed in the 1930s. We have indeed, yeah. quite differently though, yeah. So moving on to the other 1930s book under discussion today, Miss Pettigrew. Lucy, why did you pick this one? Well, I had just read it with such enjoyment. And, and, and we were asked for solace. And, you know, it's a modern day Cinderella story about a woman, as you said, who is really down on her luck. Sort of sad, sad spinster who turns up to the wrong job. And she turns up to find her gorgeous new boss, Miss Lafosse, is in bed with her lover. And she is taken into her gorgeous flat and just sort of given lots of things to do. 
in the end it ends very happily and she is employed not as a governess which is what she had applied to be but as a housemaid to which she's much more suited but why I loved it is that businesses are useless at hiring people absolutely useless no matter all the psychometric tests the interviews no one's got the first idea how to do it and it struck me that here was an example of something very good happening when everything's been done wrong she's not even got turned to the right place but she's actually given the chance to show what she can do and that it occurred to me as a really really good lesson if instead of spending all of this time trying to test people we should just get them into the place and see what they can do and see what they're they're like and we might make much better decisions as a result of it. Andrew is that how you saw the book? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. I wouldn't have read it if uh, Lucy hadn't eccentrically recommended it uh, in, in a podcast about business books. Um, but, yeah, it was certainly offered uh, great diversion from some pretty grim times, which was what the uh, uh, brief was this time around. I thought... Um, I think you're right about the uh, random experience that you could throw at somebody and see whether they rise to it. What I thought was another interesting part of it is that it's really all about faking it to make it, isn't it? I mean, this is really a book about she's thrown into this situation where all her previous mousy, spinsterish ways are challenged and she's made to be the life and soul of the party, something she never thinks she's going to be capable of. And it There are lots and lots of repeated points where she simply has to gird up her confidence. She looks who's set in in front of a mirror, for example, so that she keeps glancing at herself in her new finery in order to restore her confidence that she can do it. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I, I sort of agree with you. I don't think, though, that it was exactly she was faking it. It was more about how if we put any of us into a completely unfamiliar setting, we will start to be different. And I felt that in some other life, poor old Miss Pettigree could have been just as racy as Miss LaFosse because, my goodness, she takes to it like a fish to water. I also love the role that alcohol plays in this book. (laughs) And, you know, alcohol has been drummed out of corporate life entirely and I felt some regret from that because in this she starts drinking cocktails called snake venom and only good results from that you know she starts telling the truth to a, a suitor who is not a suitable suitor for one of the women in the book and yeah and gives some very very good advice but it is worth saying that if she's not in any any way in any kind of corporate situation when she's drinking the snake venom she's at a nightclub so really... it's not you know it really isn't a kind of this isn't a clarion call for the restoration of cocktails no, to the No, uh, that's the true, but there's a certain sort of in vino veritas, there's a certain sort of truth-telling that comes after a glass or two of snake venom that um, seem to help her secure the job in the end. Miss um, LaFosse is an employee of the nightclub, though I think it'd be she's fair a singer, to yes, say. That's yeah. right. And she has self-consciously reinvented herself. There's a great bit where she says, I, I started off as Sarah Grubb, yeah. and I, I became Delicia LaFosse. So there might be something there for graduates. Yeah, this is the embarking re- on the, re- reinvent yourself. Yeah, the, re- the reinvention point is is pretty important. There's another bit that I underlined that says, flattered, bewildered, and excited, Miss Pettigrew made for the door. She knew she was not a person to be relied upon, which is the thing that she is being asked to do. 
but she says perhaps that was because hitherto everyone had perpetually taken her inadequacy for granted. Yeah. How do we know what latent possibilities of achievement we possess? Which is exactly the point that you're making. Yes, Lucia. that was the point of the whole book. But also, she so much is a person to be relied upon as well. She and, proves it, yes. And one of the things that is so optimistic about it is that we needn't all be pigeonholed and we can all go on surprising ourselves and everyone else. They Love keep that. asking her, don't they, the, Miss LaFosse and her friends. She's constantly being asked to get them out of, I suppose the 1930s term would be scrapes yeah. <laughs> with, with unsuitable men or indeed to get them into... Uh, relationships with the more suitable men. Yeah. So she reveals all these latent possibilities in, in being actually asked the question, mm. which she's just never been yeah. she's never been put in that situation before. But also, you know, could one without stretching it too far say something about, you know, the role of the older woman in sort of coaching and mentoring as well? Because she gives some jolly good advice. And she's wise. And Miss LaFosse, whatever she is or isn't, wisdom is certainly not one of her. We, we say she's an older skills. woman. Late in the book, it's revealed <laughs> that she's 40. Oh, gosh. So I yes, think, so that, well, I think that's right. It was different. Uh, 40 yeah. and never been kissed. Yes. Yeah, I know, but it was different in those days. I mean, in those days, 40 is what sort of 90 would be now. Yes, I suppose that's true. But There's... is it about taking her out of her comfort? I mean, you know, we could make a, a parallel in maybe she needed to change jobs, change careers, move to do something completely like you're doing, Lucy. Yeah. You know, give up the <gasps> familiar where you're known. And become some, you know, become someone else. You were yes. about to use the term comfort zone. You were. I know <laughs> that Lucy has written the column in the past saying that we, sh why would we ever want to be outside our? It actually zone? occurs to me rather depressingly now that you remind me, Isabel, that I'm doing a reverse Miss Pettigrew. I'm going from the glamorous, fun, sneak, venomish life of a columnist to um, the drudgery of, if not exactly being a governess of, of teaching children. So there you go. Yeah, which is the thing Miss Pettigrew wants to escape. Yes, she exactly. Reveals, yeah. You're going from being Dear Lucy to Ms. Kellaway. Exactly, Miss. What I thought was interesting was there's a big fad for storytelling in management at the moment, isn't there? Fables and... I mean, there is something to be learnt from this, but it's not in a heavy-handed way. You wrote recently about novels, how business people should read more novels. Might this be one that you would put on that list? I think this, I think this might be a bit of a stretch for most <laughs> business people, although clearly having given it this new oxygen, we might well find that, uh, that people are using it and probably somebody will turn it into a very, very dull business book about mm -hmm. the uh, with this at the centre and all the lessons enunciated in bullet points mm -hmm. at the end of every chapter. I, I definitely prefer it to most business fables. When Lucy was on this podcast last time, we talked about the one-minute manager, which is a sort of very, very basic, simple business parable type of approach. And there's Who Moved My Cheese, famously, which we discussed then. Those are, those are very poor, I think. I'd much rather somebody was sent off to, to look at a fairy tale like this, which can be read very swiftly and easily, and then reflected on what would Miss Pettigrew do next time that they're confronted with some business, uh, some business problem. But you mentioned storytelling. I mean, I think that this is a proper story written by someone who's actually a novelist and skilled at doing that sort of thing. And surprise, surprise, she's an awful lot better at it than all of these people who who aren't who are just sort of regular corporate people who who think that by telling stories um, they will somehow make their points come across better. And, and we both you and I have written about that, Andrew, yes. and both reaching very much the same conclusion that it's, yes. um, I mean, it's my, a bad business. My worry with corporate storytelling is that it just encourages people to put themselves at the centre of the story and it may not be about one person, it may be about mm. a group of other people. And the other problem is stories like this can be written with beginning, middle and end and a nice 
conclusion, but in real life, in real business, everything is far messier than that. There aren't there aren't natural endings, that and an awful continue. lot more boring. And, and more boring, absolutely more boring than this. Certainly, yeah. uh, back to the snake venom again. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. The author of this, Winifred Watson, this for her was a, a an odd departure. She mostly wrote sort of quite racy rural dramas, and this uh, people took this very badly. So in a sense, she was reinventing herself. Mm. Uh, this became a bestseller across Europe. So she is a, she was a kind of Miss Pettigrew. And then she gave up writing, she, I think. I, mean, I read in the foreword in my edition, it mentioned that she'd, she stopped doing novels at all. I think the pram in the hallway did for her, mm. ah, yes. her writing career. But she had fallen so much out of fashion that when she was rediscovered, the, the woman who's, who, who wrote the foreword, you know, no one could find her and didn't know where she where she was. And she did some research and found something in some public library and and rang some number and and it was picked up by um, Miss Watson herself. And she's yes. as delightful as, as as you would expect her to be. Still going in her nineties. Still at the going point in Point at which 90s, she yeah. called her at any rate. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the publishing house that that published Miss Pettigrew, Persephone is itself quite an interesting business. It's a very niche business. They publish these books by forgotten women writers, mainly of the mid-20th century. They publish them in very, very grey book jackets. And they oh, look amazing. Yeah, they're beautiful. They have found a niche business out of something quite unpromising. And they've you and know, the made something of it. truly, truly wonderful. And, and although they're in the grey covers, when you open them, there's this lovely end paper, which is taken from the year. It's, it was designed in the year in which the book was um, published. It's sort of beautiful touch. So that's it. Yes. Yes. So what's a business lesson from that? Uh, reinvention. Yeah. Always go back to the archives looking for the next thing. And doing the next things beautifully thing, yeah, as well. And do things doing well. Things and find your niche. Yes. Yeah. And be very good at it. They, they really truly are. I, I, I think they're wonderful. So this is such a contrast to the last book we talked about on the podcast, The Dystopia, Station Eleven, mm. another book for turbulent times. Is escapism better than dystopianism for these times? Andrew, you read both, didn't well, you? Well, I'd say... In both cases, it's a different perspective, which is what I wrote about and what we talked about last time in terms of what fiction offers to business people. You get, you get, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You're going to think about how other things look to other people, and that's got to be a good thing for business leaders. Whether dystopianism versus escapism, I mean, they're both escapism mm. in a way because you are imagining another another world, and. This one really truly does take you out of any current, certainly technological preoccupations, whereas Station Eleven was very much about uh, what happens if you've got no technology and how does that make you feel and what happens to civilization. So in this sense, I th see this as probably a less relevant business book, but just as good from the point of view of taking people out of their current day-to-day -day humdrum business existence. Well, I, I loved Station Eleven too, but I also would like to fight you, Andrew, on the question of relevance being the standard by which we need to judge these things. I think something that is frothy and light and funny and makes you look at one thing differently, viz, who is suitable to do which job, it is a precious thing. I uh, also found, going back to my current reading of uh, this book, Boss Lady, that there, were, there was relevance in this for quite a lot of reasons to do with what women were doing in business in the 1930s. That was one of the things that, that emerged. One of the women in this uh, book, Boss Lady, Olive Ann Beach, who was the one who was ironically profiled by the male-dominated press as being the boss lady, won Man of the Year from the American Aviation 
uh, <laughs> association at one point and had to accept this prize as man of the year. And so there's a sort of bigging up. The author, Edith Sparks, makes a lot of the fact that the these three women all had to put themselves forward as leaders in a time when women leaders were not common and indeed faced quite a lot of uh, obstacles and misogyny. So I still sort of fight for the relevance of this book in that respect, but it's not necessary to yeah, enjoy I just it. Think it's, I think it's deadening when you take a novel that was not written for its business lessons to be trying to assess it on relevance grounds. It just makes me think, oh, can't we just enjoy? I'm just trying to drag this back to the business <laughs> podcast. It's business solace. We're podcast. back onto back solace. 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 Solace, is, is, solace is always is, relevant Solace is always relevant. What struck me, I think, is that this woman has had the most terrible series of jobs. I mean, not only has she been bad at them, her employers have been horrible. So Lucy, what is the worst job you've had? Did this take you back to times when you've had a terrible time? Well, I mean, I've had a very unusual career in that I've spent 32 years of extreme happiness at the Financial Times. Uh, Before that, at JP Morgan, I did occasionally cry in the loo. But even there, there were some laughs to be had. I mean, I think that you know, I have just been so privileged. The unskilled jobs that I did before in, in university holidays, I mean, being chambermaid at the Strand Palace Hotel wasn't much fun. But lucky, lucky me, I was only doing it for extra holiday money. And yeah, it was absolute rubbish. And, and I only did it for a month or something. Andrew, did this take you back to terrible well, jobs? I've had a similar career profile to Lucy's, but the uh, I did do a very, very um, terrible job uh, as a sort of telephone salesperson once, but again, mainly for holiday money. Uh, in which I had to call people up and tell them that they had won a competition uh, or that they were in line to win a competition uh, and then use that as a sort of Trojan horse to get salespeople to go around and sell them double glazing and uh, and new kitchens. And that was pretty awful, actually, but I lasted only two or three weeks. So others who might have had to depend on that probably came off worse. Because underlying this, there is the fact that uh, poor Miss Pettigrew is only uh, one week's wages away from the workhouse as we learn at the the beginning of the novel, which is something that I think we forget how cushioned we are. It paints a a pretty dire picture behind the kind of glamour of it, of what what lies in wait for her. Well, there's a moment at the end, I I didn't know how it was going to end, obviously, but uh, when she comes back after her glamorous night out in the nightclub and she's Mm -hmm. been kissed by a lovely man and it's all... And you think she's going to end up back on the street. She's not even going to get back into her rented Mm -hmm. accommodation. So uh, I was a little bit teary at the end with the uh, with the happy ending. I was too, and I just do the whole structure of it. I thought was fascinating because it's a very tightly structured book, and all the chapter headings are an hour or so. It is really Miss mm. Pettigrew's day. And I'm not not sure there are any business lessons we can learn from this, but certainly it's an extremely disciplined way of writing. And I have never seen a book written in this way before. And they're all quite odd timings. It's sort of twelve twenty seven mm. to one thirty eight. I mean, I that felt terribly modern to me, actually. Exactly. And yeah, it reminded me of, because, you know, I mean, we've got more and more into those sort of things that are now quite gimmicky. Um, one day, say, you know, which was hugely successful a few years ago, was that same day every year for 20 years or whatever it was. And this doing sort of, you know, the, the hours through 24, I think now would be gimmicky, but then was really, really, really original. Is it, have either of you seen the, the film? There's a movie, I think, made from One day, no. Uh, oh, no, Miss Pettigrew, yes. No, I haven't. I no. haven't, no. Yeah, so I don't know whether they frame it in the same way. I thought it might be interesting to know whether they'd actually decided that this was 
having this sort of timing because it's also mm. a sort of countdown. It is actually there's a slight building tension that you get. Mm. The, her mm. day is coming to an end. Yes. What's going to happen? Yes, yeah, it's wonderfully done. Has this inspired you to? I mean, obviously Andrew's reading something quite relevant. Lucy, what are you going to read next? Is this going to take you back into the 1930s? Well, I mean, I love Persephone books and I've I've got a huge pile of them by my bed, so I may do some more Persephones. But no, I sort of scatter around all over the place in very haphazard fashion on what I'm reading. But at the moment, I, I'm, I'm generally, I like reading things that put me in a good mood. Yeah, and I'm a, I think I'm about to go into that deep, dark cave full of business books that happens oh. every year with the uh, Business Book of the Year Award, which uh, closing date for entries is June 30th. So I may have to shut myself away with quite a lot of more serious tomes still hoping for some novels to be entered this time as well andrew and lucy thank you so much for joining us today and thank you to our producer yanina Comboy. join us next time when andrew hill and helen barrett will be here with martin wolf the ft's chief economics commentator to discuss his choice of a business book between debt and the devil by adair turner quite a different title from miss pettigrew lives for a day <gasps> so do join us then and in the meantime please do stay in touch You can join the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag FTBizBooks or email us at businessbookclub at ft.com. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.